through 15. Titus 3, 12 through 15. <clears throat> when I send Artemis, Atitikus, to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds and to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. <clears throat> All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for your goodness. I thank you and praise you for the worship that we have been involved in already collectively. And once again, we count it a privilege of opening the word of God, knowing that we must be relying on the spirit of God who is able to take spiritual things and spiritually discern them and open our hearts and minds to it. And I pray that we would be receptive. We pray, Father, that we would be changed and that, Lord, you'd help us to indeed not just talk about and sing about following you, but as we are instructed from the word of God, that we'd be able to take that and apply it in a practical sense, in a practical way, so that we would follow you every day. Thank you for this opportunity to study the word of God once again, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Final words of encouragement. Uh, we come to today is the day of finals, <laughs> if you will. This is the final message in the book of Titus this morning. This evening I have my final message in the book of Proverbs. I did not plan it that way. Uh, for those who have been with us, even with uh, Titus, it's uh, interesting. It's taken us about a year to cover the book. That is with vacations and guest speakers and everything else. So um, about a year it took us to get through the book of uh, Titus. So I want to give you a brief uh, synopsis of what we've learned because it's going to also, I believe, help us as we open up these last verses uh, this morning and uh, close the book of Titus out. For those of you that don't know, I already mentioned we will be moving, Lord willing, from here into the book of First Peter, very, very encouraging book. Uh, for us, again, it's a very, not a very lengthy book, and it should make, take a little bit longer than it did with Titus, but it shouldn't take us too long so we can really get a grasp as to what the Lord's teaching us there. But as we come to this final words of encouragement from the Apostle Paul, let us remember that that is the Apostle that is writing. Paul is writing to Titus. Why? To encourage him to carry out his responsibilities. That's it in a nutshell. He's writing to Titus to encourage him to carry out his responsibilities. And if you go back to chapter 1 of Titus, Titus was on the island of Crete. You can see that in verse 5, just for a second. For this reason, I left you in Crete. He was there on that island of Crete. And somehow, we're not sure exactly how, but we do know that he became di distracted from his responsibilities that he was given by Paul. And he needed to be challenged. Was he distracted because he lost focus? We talked about that. Was he distracted because of lack of enthusiasm or just plain outright discouragement that we all get from time to time? I don't know. 
Any of it is guesswork, no matter who's preaching or teaching on it, because the Word of God doesn't give us the information. But we do know that he got distracted. So the point is, Paul told him, I want you to get back on track. I want you to get back to that which you should be doing. And if you're in chapter 1, just remind ourselves, in verse 6, he says, um, uh, in verse 5, I'm sorry, he goes back and he says, that you would set in order what remains. That's what he was to do. He reminds him that he was to set things back in order. He was to get back on track for why he was left in Crete. He wasn't left there for a vacation. By the way, this week, there's a lot of people on vacation. There's some people in Hawaii. I wish I was with the rumps right now. No, I'd rather be here preaching, but that would be nice. And some other people in Florida and some people in California. But the uh, Lord's got us here. Okay, but he was there not for a vacation. He was there to set things in order. Namely, if you look at it now, verse 6, to put in godly leadership. I will comment on that as I summarize the book at the end today. But basically, no matter who the local church is, no matter what local church is there, uh, there should be qualified godly leadership. And that was the responsibility given to Titus on that island. Make sure you've got qualified leadership in those local assemblies. Secondly, if you jump down to verse 9 for a second of chapter 1, just to remind us, we talked about this last week very briefly, or two weeks ago, that there was to be sound doctrine. If you look at verse 9, it says, holding fast, these men were to hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So he had to put in order godly leadership, and he had to make sure that sound teaching was coming from the Word of God. Because just because someone's teaching from the Word of God doesn't mean it's sound, doesn't mean it's rightly divided, doesn't mean it's taken in context. And Titus needed to make sure so that the people would grow. And that's what led to the remainder of the book, chapters 2 and chapter 3, where he got into setting in order the practical principles to live it. It's fine to know the Word of God, and we encourage you to do that. You should memorize the Word of God. You should read the Word of God. You should study the Word of God. But if that's it, then what good is it? You say, well, it helps me to know God. Yes, but God has left you here just like he was on the island of Crete. We are here. Some of you are in Methuen. Some of you are in Lawrence, Haverhill, Plastow. I'm going to miss some places, Pelham, whatever. Wherever God's got you, he's got you here for a reason. It's to get to know him, but then to live out your life as a testimony to draw others to Christ. And chapter 2 was spent in dealing with every single practical aspect. Old women, young women. Old men, young women. Oh, no, that didn't come out right. Wait a minute. Old women, young women, old men, young men. And then also slaves. Slaves. And he dealt with every aspect of it, how you were to live it and how you were to show that that doctrine is real in your life, and he encouraged them to be involved in good works. Then in chapter 3, leading up to where we're coming to the end of it, I want to remind you that he reminded him, look at Titus, and you can look at it in the first seven verses there as I quickly bounce over it. He said, look at Titus, remember who you were. You were without God. You were lost. You were in darkness. You were just like the people on the island of Crete. Don't forget that. And someone reached you. He specifically says that God, in his grace, reached down and saved you. But don't forget where you were or you'll lose the vision for the people at Crete. 
They need the gospel. And that's a great reminder to us. Sometimes as believers, we forget who we were and what God has done and how important it is to get the gospel out. So he reminded him of that. And then, just leading up to this last message, I had three messages on it. Was He summarized the book with points of emphasis. And that is, you ought to emphasize or promote what good works. And for believers, that's exactly what would be involved in. We'll see that again today. He told them what to avoid. And while they were to avoid sin, they were to avoid people who caused divisions. And then what to reject, and that is basically that they are to reject those who they've tried to warn and they won't listen and they're going to be stubborn and they cause more divisions and problems in the body of Christ. Just reject them. Don't have anything to do with Don't even eat with them. You don't want to hang around with the people because they'll influence you in a bad way. Now, with that summary, why do you come down to this now as we close the book? Why did you go through all of that, Pastor Dan? Because I've got to believe that, like us, since he was discouraged in the beginning, probably, and we do know he was distracted, that being in that situation where the believers themselves, remember when I gave you the background of the book, the believers were young. They were young in the Lord. There were many of them on the island. They had very little teaching. They couldn't pick up their New Testament scriptures like we can. They had very little instruction, and they had no direction, so they were wandering around, and they were influenced by the people in Crete who were unbelievers. That's probably worth looking at for a second to remind you. Go back to chapter 1 of Titus just for a second. Here's the midst of the people that he's with. Just look at verse 12, one verse. One of them, one of themselves, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always, remember this, liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. What a summary. That's who they're living among. And remember the tremendous contrast, God never lies. What an encouragement, right? Whatever promises, God never lies to us. And here is, here is, Titus on an island living amongst people that's all they do is lie. And they're evil beasts. They're like animals. As we began to just expound that with you when we were through it. And they're nothing but gluttons. That's their life. More, more, give me more, give me more. And so he's living in that environment and he's got a bunch of young believers. And then he's got false teachers in chapter 1. Look at that in verse 10. It says, for many of them were rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision of the Jews. And if you look at verse 16, a reminder, they professed to know God. These were people who said they knew God. But by their deeds, they deny him. How important it is to let our lives reflect in a practical way the doctrine. These people said they knew God. Their lives de denied God. They were detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. That's how they were summarized. So Titus is in the midst of that on the island with instruction and all of this pressure given by Paul. And I've got to believe in reality, if Titus is anything like I would have been, he probably said, this is great instruction, Paul, but, what do you mean but? I can't do it. I'm living among those people. I haven't got the New Testament, Paul. You're writing to me. You're not here. These people are horrible. Believers are scattered all over the place. And you're putting all of this pressure on me. I can't do it. I feel alone. Have you ever felt attacked by icicles? No. Uh, overwhelmed? I know sometimes I have. Really, and you, if you're living in this world with one eye open with the pressure that's going on in our society around us, 
in how they're attacking Christianity and the things that we're responsible for, even on the job to live for Christ, we can be overwhelmed and feel we can't do it. But Paul is not just a person who gives instruction without encouragement. He anticipates how he might feel, and I believe that's why he closes the epistle the way he does, because he wants to encourage Titus. How does he encourage him? It's interesting in this last final words of the epistle. As I have in your outline there on the bulletin, I believe he does it in three ways. How? Number one, he wants Titus to be aware of something. What? You are not alone. Sometimes we think we are. We think we're all alone. We're the only Christian that's walking with God. Or we get involved in self-pity. I can't do that. You know, the team ministry is just too tough. I don't know. I can't handle these babies in the nursery. You want me to work in a kitchen with these people? You want me to get involved in this? You want me to teach a class and whatever it is? And we get involved in self-pity. Or we even have a little bit of this sometimes. And that is pride into thinking we're the only ones that write. We're right. We, don't, we would never say that. But we can, as individuals, think that we're the only Christian that's walking with God. Or, very common, we're the only church. Now, you don't want to hear that, but sometimes churches get involved with that. Everyone else is wrong. We're the only ones that are right. If you think that about Fellowship Bible Church, you are wrong. If you think that about yourself, you are wrong, and so am I. And he wants him to realize, Titus, yes, you're on the island of Crete, but you're not alone. And he does it in a way, and by the way, if you think that's not common, let me just give you a couple of quick things that I have here. Go with me to 1 Kings 19. You'll be familiar with this. We'll come right back. 1 Kings 19. We'll look at two things quickly in the Old Testament. Anybody remember who was here? Elijah, that's right. Elijah. Did he get involved in that? Yes, he did. How do you know, Pastor Dan? Because the passage tells us. That's the only reason I know. 1 Corinthians 19, look at verse 9. We'll just look at the heart of it. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Watch this. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, which was true, and for the sons of Israel... Uh, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they're all seeking my life to take it away. I'm the only one here that's interested in the things of God. You think it stopped there? He goes on, things happen, and this is where you get the still small voice you've heard about. God wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't using the still small voice. What happened right after that? Look at verse 12. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a sound of gentle blowing. When Elijah, uh, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a mantle and went out, stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, the voice came to him, and look at what it says again. What are you doing here, Elijah? He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord. I love you, God of hosts. And that was true. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. That was true. 
Torn down your altars and killed your prophets. That was true with the sword. This wasn't true. And I alone am left. They seek my life to take it away. Self-pity, discouragement. Bottom line, you know what happened. Jump down to verse 18. You get down to verse 18 and he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. What is that? It's a very simple instruction that says this. <laughs> You're not alone. Yes, you've been through a lot. There are 7,000 people that haven't bowed down to Baal. You're not alone. Stop the self-pity. I still have work for you to do. That was the bottom line with him. The other situation is sometimes we can isolate ourselves, and that's why I get the other verse. Go to Proverbs 18 for a second. We've been studying Proverbs at night. Proverbs 18. Here's a guard for you as a believer. Uh, do we have sound darkened? Absolutely. But a guard for you as a believer and for us as a church of what not to do. Proverbs 18, verse 1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. Watch this. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. If you're an isolationist, personally, if you're an isolationist as a church, and you're so separate that no one else is right, that is against all the sound wisdom and instruction that God has ever given. All you are is proud. All I am is proud. And that's the state Elijah had gotten into. And so what, well, what's that related to Titus? Go back to Titus. He's there on the island, and no doubt, that's probably why he didn't get involved. Now he's given this instruction, and am I the only one that can do this? Wait a minute. You do have a task, but you're not the only one in the body of Christ. And he encourages him with five in this particular passages, people. Look at what he says. When I send, I'll come back to the explanation of that in a second. But when I send Artemis, Artemis was a faithful believer. But we don't know anything about him. He may be just like me or you. Who knows anything about Pastor Dan? You know, if I walk to a different town, well, it's kind of tough, honestly, because I grew up in this area. I almost can't go anyplace that I haven't seen somebody around here. But if I were to go up to Vermont, who, who's Pastor Dan? Who, I could care less. That might be true with you. And we can get lost in the thinking we're nobody. Look at, we don't know, we don't know anything about Artemis, but obviously, if Paul's going to send him, this guy is a faithful guy. What does that mean? He loves the Lord. Titus, you're not alone. Artemis loves the Lord. He goes on to the second one. What does he say? Or, he says, Tychicus to you. Now, him we know a little bit about. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. There's several passages. We'll go to the one in Colossians. Who is this? Colossians chapter 4. Verses 7 and 9. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, here's the same guy, our beloved brother, and faithful servants and fellow bond servant in the Lord will bring you information. He knew all about Paul. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that our 
and then notice this, and that he may encourage your hearts. Why do you think he's sending him possibly to the island of Crete? To encourage. See, verse 9. And with him, Onesimus, another name we don't know a lot about, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. And on we could go. And when you go back into Titus, there are other people, and he's reminding him, Titus, you're not alone. Here's two men, one's faithful, then he names another one. The third one he names is in verse 13. Diligently, diligently help Zenus, the lawyer. Who is he? I have no idea other than he's a Christian lawyer. And when I say Christian lawyer, we don't even know if he was a lawyer in the Roman Empire or whether he was a lawyer just for the believers there or a part of a lawyer in the Jewish situation. I've read all kinds of things in commentaries. The bottom line is you don't know. Here's the point. You may be a lawyer, you may be a doctor, you may be a nurse, you may be a uh, uh, worker for the government, you may be a house homekeeper, whatever. You may be a pastor, whatever your position. We are just people that are not really known but faithful servants because there's other people serving the Lord. And we need, by the way, good lawyers. So there's a third one. Then the fourth one he names is Apollos. He says Apollos, not only uh, the lawyer, but Apollos on their way. So Apollos as well. These are people just to encourage, if you will, Titus. To let him know that he's not alone. There's other people. Now, Apollos we know an awful lot about. I won't turn to Acts, but if you want it, Acts chapter 18 particularly. We find out that he was mighty in the scriptures. So mighty, you know what happened with Apollos? Anybody remember the Corinthian church? I'm after Paul, I'm after Apollos. He was such a good teacher, that's one thing we know about him, that people were just following him rather than following the Lord. And it ended up dividing the church because people got their focus wrong. So what are we seeing? We're seeing people, some of who we know nothing about. One's a lawyer, the other one we don't know anything. One was a faithful servant. Paulus was a, a good teacher. And then to summarize it all, jump down to verse 15. All who are with me. Who's that? I don't know. But there's many. We're not alone, folks. There's the point. He sends encouragement to Titus because while Titus is on the island of Crete, number one, and he's got a task to do, he could have a tendency to think, I'm all by myself, there's no one else serving the Lord, there's no one else that's like me, and Paul's saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to send, get involved with four people with you, and it's all of them that are with me that greet you. What is the point for a practical point of view? You and I are not alone in the body of Christ. Don't think for one minute we are. You are not the only faithful believer. If you were to talk to some Christians sometimes, and I can fall into this as well, as a pastor, to think I'm the only pastor that's right. Are you kidding me? One of the things that I tried to get going in New England, it, wasn't, it was successful for a little while, but it didn't go because the pastors were fighting among themselves. That's the truth. The pastor, Chris and I, tried to start a fellowship with pastors in New England. And uh, it went well for about, what, two years did we do it? Maybe three and we had some great fellowship. We had about 30 pastors coming into England. Many of them never heard that was the problem. People hadn't heard of this pastor, and this pastor wasn't walking with this, and he was doing that, and so all of a sudden pastors started to disappear. You know, they think, we think we're the only ones. Now, we have to be careful. Yes, with doctrine. I've already said that. But we are not the only ones that are walking with God. 
There's a pastor that's out in the Gloucester area that's very faithful to the word of God and is shepherding his flock as best he can. In fact, they're looking to expand. I also know of another pastor that was out in a very small church in Rockport. The congregation just threw him out. It's a true story. Just this year, he finally, he and his wife, sound man, was trying to labor. They threw him out. That guy was doing the right things. Hardly anybody in this area knows him. We are not alone. Christ is building his church, and he's going to build it in spite of me, and he's going to build it in spite of you. He will continue to do that. We are not the only church around. Praise the Lord for Fellowship Bible Church. And you know that. My heart is here. My life is committed to this. Pastor Stringer's life was committed to this. Pastor Chris's life is committed to this. And there are other full-time employees and others. And many of you who have been committed to this work. But we are not the only church. We're only part of the church. We can't expect to do everything. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We need to be reminded of this. And so did Titus. So he's encouraging him with some of these people. Very quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. The body is not one member, but many. And when you jump down to verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it, yes, and God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, <coughs> then miracles and gifts of healing and helps and administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. All are not prophets, are they? No. Rhetorical questions. All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, and on it goes. And then he says, desire the earnest gifts that you be, desire the greatest gifts. People misunderstand that because they don't look closely at the context and the plurality there. The idea is they wanted the more excellent gifts functioning in the local assembly. And then chapter 13, everybody forgets. I'll show you how to exercise the gifts with love. Doesn't matter what you're gifted in. If you haven't got love, you're just a bunch of noise. The point is we're all body members. And we need, you know what? You need to understand that yourself that we need one another. It is not God's design for Titus to do everything. He needs to get leadership in there. Why? So that the leadership can carry out what they're supposed to be doing. He needs to be involved in sound doctrine so the people will know how to live because the older men and the younger men and the older women and the younger women and the slaves and everybody's got to know what they're supposed to be doing for Christ. Fellowship Bible Church can't function without all of you. And even those that are away from us on vacation or whatever. It takes everyone. It's not the design for the pastor to run the work and the pastor to do everything. In fact, that's my delight. My delight is when I'm sitting down with my family in this congregation, I am worshiping just like you. All I am doing right now is exercising the gift that God's given me. Other people exercise the gift of singing and leading us in that, serving when they're taking up the offering. We need one another. And it's not designed for any one person or any one local church to have it all. But not only did he encourage him by showing him people, the second way he encouraged him was by what he was doing. And I come back to what it says in verse 12. In Titus chapter 3, when I send them, 
He was sending somebody. Why? I think you got it when we took a look at the other passage, hopefully in Colossians, for encouragement, for support. He didn't only tell them about these people. He sent someone to him to help Titus out. Also, he also was looking to give Titus a break. How do you know that, Pastor Dan? Because he says so. He says in verse 12, make every effort to come to me. I will send someone to you to encourage you. When I send them to encourage you, you then make every effort because I want to give you a break. You can trust these men. Let them carry on and you make every effort to come to me. Why? Because Paul wanted to encourage him personally, face to face, but he wanted to give him a break. Make every effort to come to me. Now, by the way, what is uh, Nicopolis? What, what city? I'll just tell you this. The, the word means victory, city of victory. That's the, the, Nike is the word. That's where we get our word Nike. That's victory. You know, those of you that wear those sneakers and all of that clothing, you're just saying you're a victor, victorious person, and you're helping support the victory of the company. Okay? But it's, it's victory city. It's Victory City. Now, there were about nine of them. I always get amazed, even as I read some of our Bibles and I look at our maps, this is where it is. Then I do some further research. There were nine cities called the City of Victory in the day of Paul. I don't know which one he was in. My guess would be probably the one in Greece, only because that's where people did, best that I could read on it. They did settle there for the winter, and that's what he was going to do, settle down for the winter. So whatever the city is is the important thing. He was trying to send people to him to help him and encourage him, and he also wanted him to get a break and come to me, meaning Paul, so that Paul could personally encourage him and get him away from the situation for a little bit. Of, a little bit. Why is that important? Let me encourage us on this level. It's great to tell people how to do things and give them instruction like Paul did to Titus, but let's make this practical. It's great for you to tell people they need to come to Christ. It's great for you to tell people that they need to serve. It's another thing to send them help and help them to do it. It's another thing to take them out and show them how to witness. It's another thing to help them to see that they need a break. Our teachers need a break. We have some people that have been teaching in, in some of the classrooms, I'm going to guess 20 years or better, and they love it. But you know what? Even when we had that little break during the summertime and the way we've constructed our, what we call the Christian growth classes, it was done to give them a break. Why? You need refreshment. And so do you. You need those breaks. Why do you need a vacation? If you're a, let me, let me hit it right on the head. If you're a husband or a wife or a parent and you never take vacation because you're too busy, something's wrong. You need a time alone with your family. And by the way, when you talked about, I, this just came back to me, when you talked about skiing Wednesday, listen, young people, go into snowboarding. That's the thing today, you know? I wouldn't do it. I'd kill myself. But, and you can enjoy skiing, but everybody's into snowboarding. Go into that. But take the time. You need breaks like that to go skiing. You need breaks for vacation. You need those breaks. You need to go to seminars. But also, help others. Take time. That's why we don't do it. It's easier to tell someone to go to a Bible study than to take them there. It's easy to tell others they need to be serving rather than taking them and showing them how to serve. 
It's another thing to tell people you need to witness to people and then show them how to do it. We need to provide the help and even giving, giving a break. That's why even with missionaries, they have furlough. Honestly, that has lost its whole meaning. Missionary, missions are another whole ball of wax, but with missionaries, today most of the time they come on furlough to try to raise funds and to give a report. It really should be to give them a break. And we ought to look for, when we have a missions conference and we have a missionary coming in, you and I ought to be looking for every way possible to meet needs for them because they're under tremendous stress in the field. We should want to house them. There should never be a shortage of people wanting to take people into their house and, and house them or take them out to eat or, or even ask them. I remember Kurt, when he was with us, that's one of the things he tried to say. When the missionaries are here, you go meet them and get to know them. Find out what their kids might need or what they might need. We ought to be ministering to one another. Missionaries need a break. That's why pastors are given sabbaticals, probably some of them because they hope they don't come back. But that's the truth. But the, the sabbaticals are good. Why? It's better for you when someone's had a break and had an opportunity to, to be refreshed themselves and be stirred up in a new zeal. And what I'm saying is Paul knew that as he closes this epistle, he's telling them about people, he's sending people to him, and then he's going to be diligent also to try to encourage him, take a break. <coughs> Come, <coughs> I'm going to be wintering there. Come and spend some time with me. He also encourages them in another way. What is it? It's to be supportive. Verses 13 and 14 of our text of chapter 3 of Titus. What do you mean? Be supportive of, other God, of God's other servants. Look at it. Diligently help. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. Why? The nothing is lacking for them. Our people, see? He includes himself. Our people must learn. Isn't it interesting how the book's going to end? Engage in good works. Be involved in it. You're not saved by it. You're saved by grace. But be involved in meeting pressing needs, he says. And the, guy, the idea of hope, uh, of, of fruitfulness. We need to be involved in good works. The book has emphasized that throughout. That's one of the reasons I studied the book with you, is to help you to see the place that good works has in our life. Help. Diligently do your best is with the idea. That was used in verse 12. Make every effort. Now it's used in verse 13, diligently. It's basically the same root word in the Greek. The idea is that we are to do our best. See that nothing is lacking. Do we look at other people that way? That's how you meet the needs of others. I don't want to put anybody in the spot, but I very much appreciated that announcement. Here's somebody that's... Uh, Right now, the work is low and is willing to give of their time to see, can I meet the needs of some others right now while I've got this opportunity? That's the way we all need to be. We all need to be there, diligently helping, not indifferent. I know that we're genuine, so please understand this. But isn't it true that we can very lightly say, you know, when we hear about something, I'll pray for you? And we do. But do we go beyond that? Are we unaffected when we hear people? We ought to do everything that we can in our power to assist others. It may be in areas of finances, true. 
but it might be in areas of transportation. And I know we have some people in this church that are ministering behind the scenes and they are actually taking people to doctors and that's what we need. That's what we all need to be involved in. We need to be involved in lodging people when they need it. Missionaries passing through. Students with colleges. Whatever it is. We ought to be looking for ways. And I want to encourage you and I want to encourage me. Paul was telling them that. He was telling them, look, look at diligent ways. Here, I'm going to send some servants. Here's some other servants of the Lord like Apollos. They have legitimate needs. Don't just say, hey, it's great that you teach. Because Apollos is a great teacher. And oh boy, I want to listen to him teach. Find out what his needs are and help him out in every way you can. Why? Because he's got a lot of pressure on him. And as, listen, as Titus got involved, and as the people on Crete got involved in ministering to others, you know what? The reality of those verses on the side of this church come into being. They began not to think of themselves, but they began to think of others. And that is what the body of Christ is to be doing. We're to be diligently involved. How can I, when you hear of somebody and they, they say, look, they have a need for transportation, or someone's looking for this particular need, maybe you can meet it by prayer only. But sometimes there's situations that you know you can meet them, and you don't. You just go your way. We're not, not to be indifferent. How do we get involved? How do our families get involved? In ministering to the elder, you say, Pastor Dan, so-and-so's in the hospital. Go visit them. I will. Thank you for that, and I'm sincere. But why don't you go visit them? You say, I can't do that. I'm not a pastor. Who says you have to be a pastor? Go visit them. So-and-so just uh, uh, came out of the hospital. They're at home, and they need some encouragement. You got any time? Well, no, I'm too busy. What are you going to do? I got a TV program to watch. Now I'm exaggerating. Please give me that grace. You get the point, though, I hope. We need to be involved. And I'm going to tell you something because it's coming. <clears throat> We had someone in this church talk to me recently. <clears throat> I shared it with the elders. And that's what this individual asked. Him and his wife want to start opening things up where we can just get together. We're going to start that this summer. Where even sometimes after, we'll give you more details as it kind of flushes itself out. But where we're going to during the summer months, just some people that want to stay after church and we'll open up the grills and provide some food. And they're just going to sit around and talk and have some good fellowship. And I suggested a couple of nights what we do is go build a bonfire out in the back. For, I shouldn't say bonfire. Uh, a little fire and sit down and have some fellowship and get involved in one another's lives. We need that. That's what the small groups are for, too, so that you understand. Make yourself a part of the group. Don't be isolated from it. You can get involved. Get involved. Be less focused on yourself. We need that. Titus needed that as well. He was given good instruction. He's got the pressure. But he himself needed a break. He himself needed a situation where he was ministering to the needs of people and didn't get all involved in everything else. There's so many ways that we can be involved. I had an interesting situation. I'll be very quick with this. But an interesting situation just happened yesterday. I was involved uh, in a conversation. And it had to do with a wedding. But I listened to it, and I, I took it in. My wife and daughter were there as well. I don't know if, even know if they realized I heard it. But I heard every bit of it. 
there's a, as far as I know, and I asked the question, I believe the person is unsaved. But the person just got married. And you know what that person did? And it, it's just to give you some idea behind the person. The person said, I don't want any wedding gifts at all. None. I don't need things. Anything that I get, and he did, he and his wife gave it away. They gave it away. He had an opportunity to own a very nice house. You know what he bought? He bought a small barn, and they're living there. Why? This guy's unsaved. He says, I don't need things. He one time had an opportunity, because it happened to the person I was talking to. Had an opportunity, we got uh, quite a bit of meat. Kept enough for himself, and he went and he gave some to the person I was talking with yesterday. And he gave more away. That's a person that's looking to meet others' needs. And you know what? Sometimes we get shamed by unbelievers who know and understand what it is to reach out to others. He wants to encourage Titus to be involved in helping others. Be involved. When you see a servant of God, let me make it practical to you. You see a Sunday, most of you go to Sunday school or you go to a small group, and this is not to pick on the teachers. But have you ever taken the time to find out what your teacher's needs are? How about that family that's hosting? Have you ever thought about that and you say, I don't even go to them? How about starting there? I got all of these needs here, and, and this one's hurting in the church. Go visit them yourself. Tell me so I can. But let's get involved. We need to spend time with one another. We need to get involved, not avoid it. We need to meet the urgent needs, the pressing needs, if you will. And Titus needed to be involved in that himself. Not just missionaries, not just pastors, not just teachers with one another. I guarantee that the people on this side, which is my left, have some needs. And the people on this side, which is my right, have some needs. And hardly anyone knows what those are. You know why? We don't want anybody to know. Why? Well, because everyone else is walking with God, and I don't want them to know that I have struggles. Who are you kidding? I have as many struggles as you have. We fail. I fail the Lord every day. I have needs in my family. You have needs in your family. And the whole point is Titus was there. He was given responsibility. He couldn't shirk it and say, I'm not going to do it. And he didn't want to get all so overwhelmed that I can't do it. So Paul reminds him, look, be encouraged. There's others that are involved. I'm not even going to send some to you. I'll even give you a break. But make sure you're involved in meeting the needs of others. If this message in closing this pistol off does nothing else, Hopefully it gives you a sense of how involved we are to be with one another in what God is doing. Many times when we come into people, we don't meet the third one. What is the third one? Verse 15, it's a common closing. You look at the epistles, and we can just bounce over that, and I can finish it very quickly. But, And I will finish it on time, but very quickly here it says, All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. In other words, greet fellow believers. You know what we do sometimes? Even when they visit here? Here's another plug coming, by the way. Just thought of it. When, 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 uh, you know what sometimes we do here? When somebody comes here, suspicious flag goes on. I wonder what kind of Christian they are. 
I wonder, do they, you know, I wonder what positions do they take? What, what clothing do they wear? What, this is what happens. We become suspicious of one another. Rather than do that, we need to be what it says in Matthew. We need to be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. We are living in a day and age in which we need to be cautious. But we also need to reach out. Where's the plug coming, Pastor Dan? Well, here it is. Greet one another. We ought to be able to greet one another, and I hope you do that. You know, growing up in Roman Catholicism, we used to have this part in the service, and they'd stop. I don't remember at all, but I remember they'd stop, and okay, everybody turn around and shake hands at your neighbors. And this, We've even done that here occasionally, but they did that every week. And you know what? They didn't know anybody. I never knew anybody. Shook the hand, went my way. I could care less. Don't just do that. Get involved. And where am I coming with the plug? Here it is. We need greeters. What are you talking about? Right here at Fellowship. Maybe there's a ministry that you can be involved in. What are you talking about? We have people coming in every week. That's how you got in here. You came through the door. And isn't it nice to see, by the way, I'll pick on them. Dave is usually out there and Scott. I'm getting tired of seeing those guys out there, though. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean by that. It's great to see them and, and so forth, and they've done a great job. Let me encourage them with that. But they could use a break. Wouldn't it be nice to have a couple of couples out there? Or some singles? And as a team out there, and this week, you're the ones that are going to greet people that come through the door. You might get to know some people. It might be dangerous. And not only that, to show them your friendliness. There's an example. We can greet one another and be happy to have you here. There's a ministry we need to really improve on in the church. The greeters. Let's get some more greeters that are able to see the new people that come in and take them and usher them around. That's sometimes why they're not there, because I've encouraged them. Somebody comes and visits the church, they don't know where the gym is. Take them down to the gym and show them where the coffee is. Whatever. We need greeters. We need you. The body of Christ does. We all function together. Let's look for ways to encourage one another. Paul, as he closed this epistle, was looking for ways to encourage Titus, because he needed it. Titus, I'm sending someone to you. Come and take a break if you can. Be diligent in trying to do that. Here's some people that be conscious of and look to meet their needs. Be diligent in trying to meet their needs. And when you see other people in the faith, greet them. Smile at them. Be happy to see them. You know what? It's tough enough being a Christian in a hostile world. It's even tougher when Christians are hostile with one another. And we need to be friendly with one another. We need to reach out. I close with this for the book, and we'll leave it with God be with you, just like Paul did. Keep focused on our task at hand, folks. What we've learned in the book is this. Remember who you were and what God has done. Remember that the gospel's the priority. Get the gospel out. That's how you get saved. God used the word in your life. Make sure that we have qualified leadership. That doesn't make them special, but especially in today's day and age, you want people leading a congregation that are qualified according to biblical standards, not just anybody. As believers, be focused on doing good works. Look for ways to minister to the body. In every area of our life, look to apply the scriptures. And let's function as a body. 
A body that realizes I need you, you need me, we need one another. And whatever gift we have, exercise it. Don't lose focus. He had a tough assignment, a tough environment. But there were believers and future believers on that island of Crete that he had to reach. There are unbelievers at work in your neighborhood that you need to reach for Christ. Let them see Christ in your life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the Apostle Paul and how concerned he was for Titus. Beyond that, he was concerned for the people on the island of Crete. And Father, it is true that we have an epistle that's old. We have an epistle that was written to a man to give him instruction, but we also are encouraged by the fact that we know that it's the inspired word of God. And Father, that has so much meaning to us as well. We thank you that we have a God that cannot lie. We thank you and praise you that you are so concerned for us that you placed us in the body of Christ just where we should be. And I thank you, Father, we're not alone. I thank you for the folks in this room that have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and a part of your body and just as crucial as any one of us. I thank you for other local assemblies that are faithfully preaching the word of God. Pastors and people laboring. Oh, they may not take the exact positions we do on some things, but Father, I so thank you that one day we'll be rejoicing in heaven with them. Lord, keep them faithful. Keep us faithful. Help us to be involved in one another's lives. Help us to look for ways to minister to one another. And I pray that you get all the honor and glory. And even as we saw in our opening verses this morning that one day every knee will bow. And even the myriads in heaven that we saw will say worthy is the lamb that was slain. We thank you that he was slain for us. And I pray for those who right in this room are still unbelievers. They haven't yet come to Christ. Lord, help us to continue to minister to them. Open up their heart that they might be changed from darkness to light, from death unto life, might experience and understand eternal life and come to know you, the one true God who is living. And I pray that they too would serve you with the remaining time that they have on earth as they come to know you. Thank you for this study. Guide us as we prepare our hearts to move into a study in Peter. Might the Spirit of God help us to accurately cut it, to appropriately apply it, and Father, as a result, be able to live for your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.